0: Beloved of God, happy Sunday. (laughs) Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow, and though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Kim Folk, will you pray with me? Creator, sustainer, and redeemer of all life. I pray that the words of my lips and the meditations of our hearts and minds will be pleasing and acceptable unto thee, our guide, and our destination. Amen. To take a holy place and make it into a profane place requires a certain level of ambition or at least a a profound commitment to something unholy Um, that is able to supplant the love of God. Jesus, today, in our gospel lesson we just heard, he seems to be behaving very uncharacteristically. We might be tempted to think. Braiding a, a, a cat of nine tails, he's braiding a whip. Sometimes I think about him, I think about Jesus in that huge temple space that's been turned into a marketplace. A temple not of God, but of capital, a temple of economics, a place where there's so much money being changed hands, people walking through the doors that day wondering how they're going to get rich. I imagine him sitting there in the corner with some bits of leather, silently nobody watching him, nobody paying attention, silently fuming as he is braiding that whip, slowly his mind turning over and over again about all that he knows about God and all that he sees happening in the church. And he lashes out at them. He drives them out of the, the temple like, like they're demons, flogging them around the fleet. And he, he roars above the noise, take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. Where's the gentle shepherd? Where's the, that savior of sinners? Ought he not invite himself to these money changers' homes for dinner, as he did with, uh, with Zacchaeus? Did he really need to use a lash? Did he really need to use a, 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 a weapon? These were respectable businessmen doing the business that they had been doing for decades. Be reasonable. Be reasonable, Jesus. I saw an editorial uh, printed uh, about um, it, there was a movement, there is a movement to change the $20 bill uh, the United States $20 bill. I was going to pull one out but I don't bring my wallet with me into the pulpit that's uh, building a hedge around the Torah uh, no, A $20 bill has Andrew Jackson on it, right? Mm-hmm. Some people think it should have Harriet Tubman on it and you know, I don't I don't know that that's a fight that I really want to get too deeply involved in, but they want to replace the image of a- Andrew Jackson with one of our nation's greatest mothers uh, and liberators and patriots, Harriet Tubman, the first uh, uh, w- woman of color who was an officer in the United States Army, Harriet Tubman. And they drew up that sample image of it, of what the $20 bill would look like, and it displayed there was Harriet Harriet facing the, the viewer, uh, her imposing, piercing gaze. Harriet Tubman, it seems to, to ask us if we're ready. And in her right hand, it was outstretched, and a gesture of freedom. And in her left hand, she is holding a pistol. A single shot shot percussion cap pistol. It's a pistol that she carried during her missionary work on the Underground Railroad. That pistol survives to this day. You can go see it um, at Florida A&M University. They have the Black History Archives uh, at the university. And it is on loan from the the Brickler family, uh, Harriet Tubman's descendants today. But somebody had written about this because they were alarmed Uh, Not that we were changing the $20 bill, and not that they were putting Harriet Tubman in place of Andrew Jackson, but they were angry enough to write uh, uh, an article uh, uh, about the gun that she was holding in 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 the image. And somebody, they wrote in it, feels too much like Second Amendment stuff. Why not have her holding a lantern, lighting the way to freedom? Now this might make sense if you knew absolutely nothing about the work that Harriet Tubman did in the swamps, freeing her kinfolk from the terror of southern slavers and confederates, where a lantern would probably be the last thing in the world she would be holding. On a practical note, if you're being hounded by white terrorists while you scramble through the darkness of the swamps of southern Maryland, you're not lighting lanterns of any kind. Harriet Tubman did not use a lantern to escape her slavers. She used the Holy Spirit, she used her own strength and brilliant mind, and she used a pistol. And it is the height of arrogance today, I think, is to assume that our fellow Americans who were once enslaved, the descendants of whom number in the millions, that enslaved Americans could have been liberated from that without violence. Harriet Tubman did not vote her way out of slavery. And black Americans did not collect petitions for a ballot initiative for their emancipation. Historically, we don't vote on civil rights in America. We fight for them. But the other reason that the line was so Bothersome to me, especially the Second Amendment piece, is because uh, the the Second Amendment to the United States Constitution has never protected the rights of black Americans to own and carry firearms. There is no point in U.S. history uh, where black Americans or other minority Americans have enjoyed the protection of the Second Amendment to carry guns. A, A black man carrying a gun... In America especially openly who um, would be immediately shot by the police and this has happened again and again and again throughout history the Second Amendment uh, really has only in, 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 in theory applied to everybody but in reality has only ever protected the rights of white men to bear arms and there's reasons for that but it is not a character flaw for, for you to believe that every, um, every problem can be solved without violence, that's not a character flaw, that's a, a good thing. The great historian and professor and theologian Walter Wink did a survey of all of the revolutions in, globally in the 20th century. And he discovered that of all of the people who had been liberated, in other words, a successful transition to democracy, a successful enfranchisement of oppressed or enslaved people, fully 80% of those victories were won nonviolently. So nonviolence, protest, petitioning for redress, these are more successful means But I think that that for many of us who live lives of comfort, we are unfamiliar with violence and violent tactics. Um, The truth of the matter uh, is any any child who's ever been subjected to bullying in a school or any refugee brutalized by foreign soldiers, um, every single human being on this planet has a point of violence. And that includes you and I. (laughs) Pretending otherwise is is self-deception. And it's important to reflect on that. To know our own point of violence. I think about mine a lot. I'm a dad. I can't watch movies uh, where kids get hurt. It just won't happen. I can't do it. Um, I have to know ahead of time. I have a point of violence. But what do we mean when we talk about violence? What are we actually saying? We think about physical force against another person or against animals. What about against the environment? What, What about against commerce? The free flow of goods and services. This is a really important point of clarity and distinction today what, what about when a furious mob of protesters uh, burns down a, a fast food restaurant or throws a brick through the window of a bank or uh, throws a, a, a burning uh, a gas canister into a draft office is that violence Well, I'm not fooling around we've got to get clear on this stuff we had, um, we had protests in, in recently in the last five years where people would block traffic uh, on the highway or downtown or something like that. They'd make a row of people, stop traffic, hang up their signs, and the po- police would come out and arrest the people impeding the flow of traffic and take them to jail and all that sort of thing. It happened in Kalamazoo, right outside my church. Like, right outside my office. I went I went out to watch. I didn't have anything better to do. And um, the protesters stopped traffic and hung up their sign, and the, po- the police in Kalamazoo came out very slowly and carefully and, uh, and you know, carefully arrested them. I, re- I remember that point because it... There was very clearly a, a police officer who was new to the force who didn't want to do it slowly and carefully and he jumped out of the paddy wagon armed to the teeth and, and, uh, and I saw the actual our chief of police saw him out of the corner of his eye and ran over and grabbed him and ushered him back into the, into the police car and then the, the police officers came out and, and um, took the protesters away without causing any uh, unnecessary violence. But people were furious. People lost their minds about this. They stopped traffic for a full minute and a half, and it was like the stars had fallen from the heavens. I've never seen such rage. Um, And it was very confusing to me because, for any of you who have ever attempted to drive through Kalamazoo, you know that right through the middle of town, is a, 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 a railway. And that train stops traffic for 10 minutes every single day at 9 a.m. and 4.30 p.m. Every day traffic stops. And you know what people do when that train stops traffic? Why, they get out of their cars and they shake their fists at that train and they curse the heavens. No, they sit there and they look at their phones. And you will be late. Because you are not going to drive your way over the train or through the train or whatever. But when this group of protesters did uh, uh, one, one hundredth of what that train does, people wanted them thrown into the gulag for impeding the flow of traffic. It's, it's, it's bananas to me. But that's because we think of violence in a certain way in America. And this story of Jesus driving the money changers and the commerce makers out of the temple of God, it, it confounds us when we don't understand what we mean when we talk about violence. Is it violence when an employer steals or withholds wages from their employees. This is, the, this is billions of dollars every year that are withheld through wage theft, and it is one of the most unenforced crimes on the planet. Is it violence when um, a bank repossesses a home? From a family who has nowhere to go. Woody Guthrie thought so. I mean, he wrote that. Woody Guthrie wrote, he was a folk singer from the 1940s and 50s. He wrote a song about pretty boy Floyd, the bank robber. And Guthrie wrote in the song, I've seen lots of funny men. Some will rob you with a six gun and some with a fountain pen. In the second verse, Guthrie wrote, as, and, as, you tra- as through your life you travel, through your life you roam, you won't never see an outlaw drive a family from their home. I, don't I, I am concerned with violence, but I want to understand what I mean when I talk about it. Personally, I am deeply concerned, impressingly concerned, with the foreclosure that is taking place on our home called Planet Earth. I was riding with Teddy just yesterday in the van, and uh, we were listening to Blippi, and I was trying to survive. (laughs) And we'd been talking about other planets, Mars and Venus and whatever, and he said, He's only five, but he said, I really love Earth. Just out of nowhere. He's like, I really love Earth. I was like, Me too, buddy. That's where I keep all my stuff. Earth is rad. He's like, yeah, it's got animals and air. He was like, I think he was comparing it to Mars. <laughs> There's no animals on Mars. Why would you want to go there? You know? But the Earth is God's temple, God's own creation. And the planet is being picked clean, stripped for copper, so to speak. The good air and the water sold for Caesar's gold, commodified. Um, Do we do our business selling and trading and making God's temple into a marketplace when we destroy the earth? Um... Jesus is beyond furious about what's happening in the temple. All of it, the glory of the temple, has been built to give ceaseless praise to God. It's been turned into a marketplace, a trading floor. And when we look at the red tides, the pandemics that are now sweeping the earth, the melting glaciers, the seas, the winter that we just had, does that inspire in us a kind of holy rage or anger? about what people are doing to God's home? I think um, it depends on who you ask, right? I knew a man, uh, his name was Chris. He grew up on a river. He grew up learning how to fish that river. And It was the, it was the Kalamazoo River. It's a nice river if you've never been there comes out uh, into Lake Michigan, a couple miles south of Saugatuck. He was a river kid, he grew up on the river, and one day, when he was 19 years old, he was walking the banks of that river to go to his fishing spot, and he smelled something terrible. It wasn't a normal river smell, but he he told me the story. He said it smelled like burning plastic. He thought that there was a fire somewhere up and down the river. And as he was walking downstream, his boots began to sink into the mud. Uh, And he saw all of the mud around him was as black as soot. And he continued to sink. And what what had happened is that he was the first person to have discovered the largest inland oil spill in American history. It took place July of 2010 in Kalamazoo, Michigan, when the Enbridge Line 6 pipeline burst and spilled one million gallons of heavy crude oil into the Kalamazoo River. This was the largest inland oil spill in US history. And it destroyed that river. He saw it with his eyes. Now, here was a normal guy, a river kid, a fisherman, didn't really have a political bone in his body. But he went home that day and he sat down and he read all about the Enbridge Oil Company and about the tar sands in Alta Canada. The way they abuse the court system to avoid having to pay for cleanups. And the way that Canada ships crude oil from one part of Canada to another part of Canada through Michigan so they can avoid Canadian regulations. He got real mad about this stuff, all on his own. And when they started to rebuild that pipeline over the river, Over his river Um, he hopped a fence and he climbed inside one of those oil pipes that they were trying to install over the river and he refused to come out he stayed in there for two days sheriff's department couldn't get him to come out oil company couldn't get him to come out couldn't fix their pipeline Cost that company $6 million to get him out of that oil pipe. He went to jail for a month. He didn't know what else to do. He didn't know what else to do. Was that violence that Chris did to that oil company? They said so. Would that could have a braided a cord and driven the bulldozers away from the Kalamazoo River, flipped the pipes and demanded they stop making of the river a marketplace. And he went to jail, but he also found his purpose in life. And today he heads up an organization that fights to keep oil companies accountable. Accountable. Is this something that we're willing to sacrifice, if need be, to keep holy things Holy. Or would we prefer to compromise and avoid all the hassle? There is, um, there is a market for our time that many of us aren't even aware of in America. And corporations are spending billions of dollars every single day just trying to get us to pay attention to stuff. There's money lending and money changing hands all over the place in God's holy temple. When I go back to my idea of Jesus sitting there and silently braiding that cord of whips, I feel at times as though he is the only person in that temple who remembers what the temple was built to do. I wonder if Christians can do that. I wonder if we can be the people who are quiet and listen pay attention to the purpose of the thing in the first place. Jesus made a scene, and he offended people's sensibilities, and he went first. Now, our faith, our heritage, our tradition, our history, it tells us that, yes, in fact, there are times and places and causes for which we must use our faith in God and the brain that God put in our heads to put our foot down and say, enough. The status quo has got to change. And I think that, I think that, that this is part of the way that we praise God. If you need, um, if you need more reassurances, just Take note that nobody ever got their name written in the Bible for just going with the flow. (laughs) We have license to get up to trouble sometimes. That's how Jesus cleansed the temple. That's how Jesus saved the world. Friends, you have everything that you need. Whether it is a small step, whatever it is, whatever you are out there fighting for, conservation, civil rights, human flourishing, whether you take uh, action that interrupts the flow of commerce, uh, be anointed by the Holy Spirit in that work. You have an ally in Jesus Christ. He wouldn't have done it if he didn't know whether or not we were watching. Praise God for the holy mischief of our Savior, whose ministry shows us that we don't need to stand idly by while they make our Creator's home into a marketplace. He gives us power and authority. And in the end, as Easter tells us, He stands against the ultimate status quo, the final arithmetic of the universe. And He says, No. He protests against death itself and he wins. He flipped some tables, but then he went on to defeat death and he opened the door to everlasting life and joy. So the proof is in the tasting of that water of everlasting life, the disruption of the everyday activities. Can we follow him? I think each of us can in our own way if we pay attention, if we are still and know that God is near. And I promise I will come out of my office and watch you block traffic. (laughs) I promise that I will see you there in the midst of that fray. Because it is holy work. It's holy work to protest. Amen? Amen. Amen.